fun. That was fun. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard that in a while. It was good. It was good. Thank you. I can climb a mountain. I can reach my goal. More than a conqueror. Down in my soul. <laughs> I can run it. Yeah. Yeah, why? <laughs> Sound like Randy Newman over here singing here on the Schoolhouse Rock song. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Bless you, brother. Bless you, bless you. Making this new keyboard do what it do, huh? There is a new sermon series I have a mind to start with you today. It's called, I Am. I Am. Jesus in his own words. Jesus in his own words. I Am. In his own words. I want to start out today from the gospel according to St. John chapter 5. The gospel according to St. John. And we're going to go to the fifth chapter. There are seven places where Jesus almost writes his own resume, telling folk who he is. You want to know about me? He tells you specifically. This is who I am. Prefaces all of the statements with I am. John writes in chapter 5. And I want to start out reading around the around the 30 30th verse. Yeah. It's a lot of passage. Bear with me. Jesus said these words. If you got if you got a Bible that so indicates this should be in red writing. It's in red writing in the Bible, that means Jesus said it. It's a quote from Jesus. I'm gonna go back further than that. Follow me, starting at verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because of the Son of Man. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm giving you a second quote. Turn to John 6, chapter 6. John answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I knew that. My primary verse today is going to be verses 36 through 51. It tells the story of Jesus after the feeding of the 5,000. I'm trying to back up and read some because I want the context for you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 26, you, shall, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Verse 26 of chapter 5. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. I'm sorry, 6. Yeah, I wear glasses for a reason. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father seed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They were therefore unto him, uh, they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What sign, underlined sign, showest them then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? And then he said, and then the writer wrote, Our father did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us bread, underline evermore. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say it unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Skip to verse 25. It is written in the prophets, they all will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Verse 48 says, I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. 
I am the living bread that, come, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. I guess it goes without saying that we're having a spot of difficulty with our monitors today, so you can't see what I'm seeing right here being projected. Hopefully we'll have it repaired by next week. The monitors are fine. It's a little old bitty box up there that catches the signal that's gone out. If we can get that fixed, we'll be up and running again. So I apologize because I know how it is when you get used to something. You want to be able to, but that's all right. Maybe God wants you to listen harder and not look today. And so me starting now stumbling is not helping, so forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. So there's a story that's been told about the soldiers who were cleaning up things after World War II. They unfortunately had to gather children from all over the country because of the devastating losses to all the adults. All these children were gathered up and they were placed in camps where they were well cared for, to be honest with you. They were, they were kept healthy by physicians and they were well fed. But despite the excellent care they were receiving, all of the children slept poorly. They were restless all night long. They seemed nervous and they were always afraid. So finally, a psychologist came to the camp and started examining them to try to figure out what was going on with the children. And came up with a solution to the situation. Sounded strange. He told them every night before the children go to bed, give them a slice of bread to hold. It's not to eat, it's just to hold. That's all, not to eat, just to hold. Amazingly, the children going to bed each night with their own piece of bread produced significant results. Because the children went to bed every night when they had that piece of bread, knowing instinctively that they would have food to eat the next day. Not only that, they knew that they wouldn't have to spend their day scrounging as they had during the war. And because of the satisfaction psychologically they attained by having that piece of bread, they were able to have a restful and contented night's sleep. There's something about knowing who's taking care of you. There's something about knowing and being assured that you're being taken care of. And when you're not sure of this fact, it can upset your balance in your life emotionally. Each of the I am statements that I'm going to talk about during these next few weeks represents a particular relationship that Jesus Christ has to meet our spiritual needs. Understand, underline that, our spiritual needs. Jesus comes to us in the ways that we need him and we tap into that part of him that we need at the moment that we need it. For some folk, Jesus is the light in darkness. Other folk, 
He's the gate to security. Other folk need him to be a shepherd who guides us. And today I want to talk about him being the bread that satisfies. Amazingly, this Jesus, can't nobody do this but God. Jesus was born in a place called, everybody went to Sunday school all to know this, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I know it ain't December no more. So. He was born in a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem ironically means house of bread, house of bread. And so here comes the one proclaiming himself to be the bread of life who was born in the house of bread. In every I am statement that I give you, Jesus is trying to get us to receive him, not for the gifts that he can give us, not for the material gifts that he can give us, but for what he can be to us. Rabbi Zacharias writes this about Jesus's I am the bread of life statement. His words were intended to lift the listeners from their barren, food-dominated existence to the recognition and acknowledgement of a supreme hunger that exists in every man and that can only be filled with a different kind of bread. Food and power blind the mind to the need for nourishment and strength of soul. Look at this. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Every day you need your daily bread. All your money does is give you a different forum for attaining your daily bread. Obtaining your daily bread. And when you have so much resources that you don't have to worry about where your daily bread is coming from, then it strains your faith system that you have to depend on somebody else in order to sustain you. And that's why money, though good, can cause problems in your faith. Because you start to depend on it and not the source of your blessings. It was St. Augustine who noted that every single person has within them a God-shaped vacuum in their soul. Now, we attempt to fill that cavity in our soul with a host of other things, but nothing fills our hunger for redemption and significance except Jesus and his gospel. You know what we try to fill that hole with, that emptiness that people talk about in their soul. We try to fill it by forgetting about it. We try to drink that hole away. Maybe we try to use some other mind-altering substance. Maybe we use people to try to fill that hole or, or, or activities to fill it, just so we don't have to think about the emptiness we feel. But we find out no matter how much we try to pack into that soul hole we got, nothing fills our soul's hole but the Lord. And if you don't know him, you'll continue looking and striving 
until you find him. But there's no substitute for Jesus. The biblical context for this passage that I just read for you is a miracle that you're very familiar with. It's one of the times in Scripture that Jesus took a little and did a lot with. And you know this instance because Jesus took a small lad's lunch. The Bible says that Jesus had been preaching and teaching and healing people for a time, and the hour grew late. Crowds were around him because he was, I've said it to you in this context before, he was a rock star. Everybody wanted to be around him. Everybody wanted to see the signs and wonders that he was performing. Everybody wanted to touch him and get near him. And so they crowded around him, not all for the same reasons. Everybody had that different reason for approaching Jesus. But the hour grew late, and one of the disciples came to Jesus and said that they were hungry. And Jesus said, feed them then. And so he sent the disciples out among the crowd and told them to gather what they could. And out of a whole crowd of over 5,000 men, they only counted the men, which meant that there were more people there than men. Out of a crowd of at least 5,000, all they were able to find was five barley loaves of bread and two fish. That seems an impossible task in our own right. The only problem is Jesus was there. And when Jesus is there, he can take a little and make a lot out of it. Somebody in here ought to be a witness that Jesus has taken a little in your life and made a lot out of it. Somebody in here ought to be a witness that Jesus took the little sins you had and you've been able to do a whole lot with it because if it had been up to you, you wouldn't have been able to make it that way. I believe somebody here understands what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's taken you further than you could have gone by yourself. You stayed there longer than you should have been able to. He's given you more than you could have obtained yourself. And it wasn't you, it was Jesus. So he takes a few sardines and some crackers. Probably the first prototype of a Lunchable. And he feeds over 5,000 people. But not only is that the part, the reason it's considered a miracle is he takes this meager amount of resources and he feeds over 5,000 people and in the end, Karen, they have 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now how in the world are you going to come in without enough and come out with too much? That's Jesus in your life. You can show up with not enough to do what you need to do and Jesus will give you lanyap on the other side. He'll give you some more. That's how he blesses folk. But because he had performed this miracle, he set into motion, I told you, political context, historical context, look at all that's happening behind the scenes. Because he had done this miracle, it set a fire off in the crowd. They wanted some more. And Jesus, fearing that they might grab him and force him to be their king, political, left them by cover of darkness. The Bible says that he went to Capernaum, which was on the other side of the lake, by walking on water. Y'all know the story. <laughs> Told the disciples to get to the other side. And halfway across the, the, the water, they saw Jesus walking by. <laughs> yeah. And so they 
So I won't get into too many of the miracles that are in this story. They get to the other side. And the next morning, the crowd realizes that Jesus is gone. And so they all start piling in boats to get to the other side because they're following Jesus. And they get to the other side of the lake and they start interrogating him when they find him. Because they want to know, first of all, how you get to the other side without getting on a boat. Because they knew how many boats were on the other side. And what becomes clear in the discussion is that the crowds have completely missed the point of the miracle that they witnessed the day before. As it was in the Old Testament, there was a daily miraculous feeding of the children for 40 years. Y'all know what I'm talking about. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and for 40 years in the desert, he fed them. So put that into the context of their historical, historical data bank, and they now see somebody who has fed 5,000 people. And they start saying, here comes a new program. If he can feed all of us today, and he says he's the Messiah, then we don't have to work no more because we got one here who can feed us every day like God did. They wanted signs and miracles. If he can make bread come from heaven, why can't he make it come to us? Because everybody want to get something free, don't they? That didn't just start with this generation. That's been every generation. Those folks lived a hard life. If they didn't have to do any work, they didn't want to do any work. And so we started finding and identifying the different kinds of people that are, were in the crowd that, that day. And that's why that passage of Scripture starts out with Jesus correcting them. He, try, he tightens them up when they come to him, starting at the very, very first verse. He says in verse 32, Verily, I truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven. Because they said to him, they said to him directly in verse 31, uh, 32, that they wanted him to feed them like Moses did in the desert. That's an error in the first place. Moses didn't feed nobody in the desert. Don't, Moses was just the mouthpiece that God put there, but it was God who did the feeding every day. It was God who supplied the manna every day. I can't even tell you that today because some of us think that we've had some hand or some man has had some hand in your blessing. I can't even tell you that it wasn't you. It wasn't your job. It's God who's taking care of you every day. But you have to be mature enough to understand from whence your blessings flow. And there are four different kinds of people in that crowd that were with Jesus that day. The first we'll call the materialists. The materialists. A whole lot of the people who were following Jesus at this point were hoping for a political savior. They wanted political solutions. They wanted free handouts and some material goodies. And so for them, Jesus was just the latest and best gravy train that came along. These people had watched Rome, and Rome had already tried to in, in, install a help the poor campaign. Yeah, they instituted a welfare program that they called, uh, we'll give you bread in order for you to be peaceful. And there were a whole lot of hungry, jobless people in Rome, 
and the government tried to buy them off by giving them bread and other goods. But that plan backfired, as many of these plans often do, because the demands of the crowd only grew more and more. In other words, the more you give folk, the more they want. And Jesus found himself looking at these same folk out in the desert. These folk wanted him to keep giving more and more. Missionaries in the third world have a term they call some of these people. They call them rice Christians. Rice Christians. These are people who convert to Christianity in exchange for food or some other material benefit. In other words, when I see you coming in and you feeding everybody every day, then I'm going to come in there. I'll come sit in your church if I get a, my meal at the end of the day. And to that end, they become Christians. But only so long as you provide the benefit to them. It's also a pattern that's present in our churches here in North America. Because we come to the church not for Jesus' business, but for our business. Yeah, we might have some rice Christians in other countries, but we got some business Christians around here. We got some folk who join churches so they can make connections, so they can sit in small groups with other folk, so they can get their own personal business up and running. They join churches so they can have community status, so they can say, we go to that church. They develop personal relationship with folk that don't have anything to do with the Bible because they join a particular church. They only look to God for what they can get from God. Quick to turn their back on God the first time he fails to deliver whatever it is they want from him. A writer named Jeannie Zorns, I think, puts it appropriately. She says, as a new Christian, I presume Jesus' main job was taking care of me. He led me to a job, helped me find roommates to share my apartment costs. He gave me a car that ran. She said, but after a while, my tastes got a little bit fussier. And like the Israelites who got tired of waking up every morning and only having manna, I was tired of the same old, same old. And so I started asking the Lord for another home, one that had more privacy. I started asking him for a, a, a different, a better paying job, one that was less stressful, that gave me more money. I also asked him for a shinier new car. And my list continued to grow. I wanted Jesus to perk me up when I was down, remove any difficulties that I might have, and make my living a whole lot easier. And when those things didn't come, naturally I felt that Jesus had walked away from me. What I didn't realize was that he had put a loving distance between us, just as he did with the crowd that night when he walked the water to get to Capernaum. He got away from folk who only wanted him for what he could give them. Some of us are struggling right now, feeling close to Jesus because Jesus is tired of you up in the ante on the blessings that you want him to give you. 
All you keep doing is changing the category of what you want. He's already met your daily bread. He doesn't have an obligation to give you cake too, but you keep on asking for it every day. And so we have these materialistic people who follow Jesus. Then we got the, the legalistic people. The legalists who were in the crowd. Verse 6, I mean chapter 6, verse 28. They say this to Jesus. What must we do to do the works that God requires? What must we do to do the work that God requires? Some people are always looking for a free ride. If they can't get it free, they want a real discount. And so they're looking for a list of rules that if they follow those rules, that'll get them into heaven. Rather than to try to discover a mature spirituality themselves, they depend on the minister to come in and preach them happy to preach them feeling better. They don't bring anything to the table to work at that strong. It's up to somebody else to get them to that place. They want somebody charismatic to lead them and literally tell them what they're supposed to believe. The church as a whole, unfortunately, has fallen into the sin of legalism from time to time. It's easier to make rules than build relationships. Legalists never listen to messages when they come to church. They never assess the service based on its positive points or what it had to offer folk. They only look for the negative in it. Jesus sees through this ploy when they're asking him this, and he responds to those in the crowd who were legalists by saying in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I don't have any list of things to tell you. All I got to tell you is try Jesus. He's good for every situation that you have. So we have materialists, we have legalists, and then we have those who are called sensationalists. Sensationalists. Keep the context in mind now. The day before, Jesus had fed 5,000 plus people. And then he had 12 baskets left over. And I don't know about you, that sounds like a miracle to me. That should have been enough to tide anybody over for a minute. Or it should have been enough to convince them that Jesus was who he said he was. But that's not enough for folk who are sensationalists. After all that's taking place, Verses 30 through 31 have them asking his questions. What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? The, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, though wonderful, seemed like just a setup for Jesus Christ. Yeah, see, the manna was a sign to these sensationalists that the money train is running again. We don't have to work no more. The one who can come in and produce everything for us is back again. 
And so we need to ask him what he needs to do in order to feed us every day like Moses, they say, like Moses did in the desert. Basically what they were saying and what Jesus was saying to them, they wanted him to keep them wild every day. Yeah. In order to keep these sensationalists around, you got to keep things popping. Fireworks have to come off all the time and you keep them around, but as soon as you bore them, they're gone. These people always crave spiritual excitement. They love spectacular entertainment. They want new experiences all the time. They want Jesus to take them from mountaintop to the next mountaintop without going through any valleys. Can I tell you something about life? You can't get from mountaintop to mountaintop without going through a valley. They want all kinds of rewards from Jesus, but what they don't want is a relationship. All too often these people will hop from church to church, to church, to church, to church, to the next experience. And when that church stops being the one that it gives them that sensation, They'll move on. They move from the newest style to the latest seminar to the most electrifying concert, whatever it is that keeps them jumping. And they want to jump from that to that. It's got to be an exciting presentation. I want you to hear what I'm saying today. But worship is not put together to entertain you. When God is dealing with you in service, you may feel very uncomfortable sometimes. You might even get mad at the person that's saying it because they called you out. That's what worship is all about. That's what preaching is all about. It's a message designed to convict you. And who's going to be glad that somebody convicted them? If we plan a service to please you, always make a service to make you feel better and not convicted, then our eyes aren't on God, they're on you. And if you believe you can't worship unless a certain type of music is played or a certain type of message is being preached, then you're not worshiping, but merely out to fill your own needs. Worship is not about us. It's about coming before the sovereign Lord and receiving a word from him. Hopefully you got somebody who's concerned about giving you that kind of message. Some of Jesus' closest disciples wanted Jesus only for what they could get from him. The sad fact is that a whole lot of those disciples turned their backs on him. Soon as the going got tough, they ran away from him. And so now in the midst of this conversation, Jesus makes this statement to them for all the folk who are materialists or legalists or sensationalists. He turns to them and he tells them emphatically, I am the bread of life. I'm what you need to dine on. I'm what you need to feel the aching in your soul. What's he saying to them? The first thing he's telling them is he's saying, I am God. Yeah, that's a bold statement. He's claiming deity when he says that. How do I know that? Because after Moses went to God, after God told Moses, when they ask you who I am, tell them I am. 
after Moses got that message from God and took it back to not only the Israelites, but to the Pharaoh, the Israelites so revered the words, I am, that they never uttered it anymore. Because they knew that I am referred to Jehovah. And so no man would casually use the terminology, I am. So important was that terminology that to even say it would bring you into a situation where they might try to kill you which is exactly what happened in this situation. They're about to stone Jesus because he said, I am. They know what it means. When he says, I am, he's claiming to be God. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who's given the the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, talking about himself, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is revealing to these people that he is that bread that comes down and gives that life. If you dine on me, receive me, Jesus says, you'll never go hungry. And he who believes on me, Jesus said, will never be thirsty. So he's saying, not only am I God, he's also saying, I can satisfy the hunger that you have. What bread is to the stomach, Jesus claims to be that for our souls. Bread is a staple. can be served in a whole lot of forms. You can't count the forms that bread can come to us in. No matter how rich or poor you are, you gotta have bread in your diet. It's eaten almost every day in some form by everybody, and guess what? It can sustain you. The people were under mistaken belief that it was Moses who was doing something. They wanted the physical Jesus to be the answer to their need. And Jesus comes to tell them, I didn't come to you physically. My gift to you is a spiritual gift. That's why we know that God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And Jesus says, I'm the one who is providing for you. Psalms 34 and 8 summarizes what Jesus is saying to them that day. You ought to write one down if you don't write this one down. 34 and 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So not only is he claiming to be a deity, God, not only does he say he can satisfy hunger, you need to know that Jesus is eternal in his life-giving power. Not just sustaining you on this side. Jesus says in verses 47 through 51, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Everlasting. I'm the bread of life, 48. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, but they died. Watch this now. They ate the manna, but they died. 
He said, but here is bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Christ has given us his all. Not about living to a set of rules or getting some supernatural sign or any materialistic thing. There are reasons to turn and to eat this bread that Jesus is talking about. He's saying to them, quit complicating this thing. I'm the bread of life. If you want eternal life, then you need to sup with me. You need to be a part of what I'm offering. He said, I've made the sacrifice and I've made my life available to you. Other folk might come in and try to complicate it. They may be selling their own wares. They're, they're sub-salesmen trying to get you to buy something they got. Jesus said, cut out the middleman, come directly to me and just buy what I'm selling you. And what I'm selling you is eternal life. And all it costs you is your faith. Receive it. You'll have eternal life. So not only is, he gift, is his gift eternal, you should know this, and, and, and this is what I love, he sacrificed it for all. He sacrificed it for everybody. Jesus says to us, the bread that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Can I tell you something? A lot of countries around the world have abject poverty. There are a whole lot of them on the African continent where people are literally starving. But will you believe me when I tell you that there are literally billions of dollars worth of aid coming into those countries? There are literally billions of dollars worth of food being flown into those countries every year, and yet the people are starving. And the reason the people are starving is because the straw man in the middle is making sure that only so much of the food gets out to the people because that's how they stay in power. The way they stay in power is by controlling the resources. And so they make those folk over there believe that not God, but them, they're the way they get bread. Jesus came to cut out all the middlemen. He said, you might not eat well on this side. But if you believe in me, I can give you eternal life. That might not mean anything to you that's got a Publix every other block in your neighborhood. That might not mean anything to you when you can get in the car and go anywhere you want. It might not mean anything to you when you can sit down at any restaurant and order anything on the menu. It might not mean anything to you when you ain't missed a meal in a while. So you really don't know what hunger is about. But for somebody that's missed a meal or two, yeah, for somebody that's known the ache of physical hunger, this had to resonate well with them. Not only can you satisfy my today need, but you can satisfy my forever need. Oh, yeah. Somebody in here is struggling. You might not be struggling with a today meal need, but you may not have solved your forever situation. You might know where your meal is coming from today. But do you know where you are going tomorrow? If heaven were to come calling today, would you be able to get in? Would you be able to get in? Have you eaten the bread that gives you eternal life? Jesus came and he sacrificed 
for all. I told you there were four kind of people standing out there. There was the legalist and the sensationalist. There was also the materialist. But there's one group that's out there that people don't ever talk about. I came to tell you about him today because I believe somebody's in this congregation today who fits in this group. They're called the seekers. Yeah, they're the seekers. They're the, they're the straight up folk. They're trying to get it together. They've been looking for something. They've been looking for somebody. They're the ones who are hungry and ain't nobody trying to feed them. They're the ones who came looking genuinely for the one who could save not only their body, but their soul. And I believe that they've learned from this account. I believe that those people are here today and they want to know, what must I do? to be saved. And I came to tell him, you need to eat from the bread of life. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's the one who saves. And if you try him, he said simply, if you eat from this bread, if you believe that I came and lived for you and I died for, for you and I was resurrected to new life for you, if you eat from this bread, you'll never ever die. Somebody in here needed to hear that today. Somebody in here needs to know that Jesus loves you. All these many years later, Jesus is still saying the same thing to you. The crowd might be different. The story is the same. Jesus is able to satisfy your hunger. And so that begs the question to us today. What do people see when they come here? Do they see legalists or materialists? Do they see sensationalism? Or can a seeker come here and find Jesus? Can he get his way through the looks and the stares? And the, can he get through all that? Can she get through all that and just find that somebody here is talking about Jesus? Do they see people here with open arms? Do they see waiters here waiting to serve them? I'm certain that there's some folk who turned their back on Jesus that day. I wonder if people come here and find out that we're talking about everything but Jesus. Which group are we in today? My prayer is that we'll always be giving bread to those who are hungry. We'll always be talking to those who are seeking about the one who can solve not just our problems today, but our forever problems. I came to tell you about a man named Jesus. He loves us. He's willing to sustain you now and forevermore. And while our waiters come today, ready to serve you, they know from their essence that becoming deacons meant they were no more than table servers because that's why deacons were created to wait on folk, serve folk. Are you here today? Are you looking today for someone who can take care of you? If you are, I suggest that you try Jesus. I extend to you an invitation from this house and I'm offering Christ to you doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, come right now. Right now.